Well, good morning, Crossroads. So good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. My name's Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors, and I hope you'll take your outline out and follow along and take some notes. The verses we'll be looking at are printed there on that outline for you. And today we're going to look at a very dangerous lie that has uh, serious consequences. Uh, what you believe about this really is going to affect not only your life here on earth, but your eternity. Now in the Bible, there's something called the unpardonable sin, and people argue over what that is. I, I think it's when you reject Christ. That's basically the one thing. If you reject Christ and you never receive him, you can't be forgiven for that. But in our culture today, I, I would argue that we have an unpardonable sin in our culture today, and it's basically the idea that, hey, whatever works for you, that's good for you. I'm not, who am I to tell you? And don't tell me what's good for me. As long as we're not hurting anybody, it doesn't matter, right? And you, if you violate, you cross that line, man, you can wind up on some people's hate lists. It's a strong cultural value. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're not hurting anyone else. And I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to look to the culture for my authority. I, I look to the Bible. What does God say? Our church, we try our best to look to the Bible and say, what does God say for our lives today? And in Proverbs, Solomon said this. He said, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. He says there's a way that human beings, that people, that you and I, we rationalize. We think the way we look at it is right, but we need to look at what God says because we can deceive ourselves. I remember a few years ago, we had these neighbors, and we were trying to share Christ with them, and we wound up uh, developing a little bit of a friendship, and, but I always tried not to talk about Jesus or the church with this lady because she was very anti-Christianity. She just would get, and, but she would always work the conversation. She'd like almost wanted to have an argument with me. And I would try my best just to, you know, I just want to build a friendship, love on them. And one time we're having dinner at their house and they were talking about um, how do you, how do you Christ followers, how in the world do you, do you look back to this book that was written thousands of years ago to guide your life today? And they went to the Church of Scientology or Christian Scientists or something like that. So I, instead of trying to answer the question, I said, well, how do you guys decide what's right and wrong at your church? How do you figure out what's right or wrong? And they said, well, God's given us all a mind. And each one of us has to figure out for ourselves what's right and wrong. And I said, well, what happens when you guys don't agree? Like you, you have different opinions. Well, we, 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 we hash that out. But I said, that's very difficult to me. How do you figure that out? Your mind can deceive you. Uh, my wife and I, we have some TV shows we like to watch, and uh, I, we're really enjoying this show called God Friended Me. Now, we're not watching it for the theology, okay? What we like about the show is people are genuinely caring and warm and, and nice. They do good things for other people. It's not too cheesy, because most of the other shows I watch, people die, okay? People get hurt. So this is kind of our nice show. And uh, this past week, the pastor's girlfriend, he's a widower, pastor's girlfriend told him, just follow your heart. You can never go wrong if you follow your heart. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know how many bad things have happened because people have followed their heart? How many marriages have been destroyed? <laughs> how many families have been ruined? How many bad things have happened because people followed their heart? And the Bible talks about that too. It says your mind can deceive you, but also your heart. Look at what the Bible says in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things. In fact, I'd encourage you to underline that phrase. You can't trust your own heart. I can't trust my heart because I know I've rationalized some things in the past. They felt right, but they were sure wrong, and I paid for it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Truth is, we all have a heart condition. 
We all have a heart that wants, there's things we want to do that are good, and there's things we want to do that are wrong, and we, our mind and our hearts work together to try to convince us that whatever I want to do is okay. Whatever I want to do, it doesn't matter as long as I'm not hurting anyone, and it's just not true. And the Bible is pretty clear that making decisions based on what I think is right or what I feel is right is dangerous and deadly. And so let's break this down a little bit. Let's look at some cultural misbeliefs about sin or about wrong behavior. You know, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he warned us that there would come a time when people no longer wanted to listen to sound doctrine or sound teaching. They would just look for someone to tell them what they wanted to hear. Well, I think we're living in that world today. And again, during Jesus' day, the biggest cultural value, you could argue, was, was what you did. I mean, in Jesus' day, they were very focused on keeping God's law and being holy and uh, making sure if you weren't holy and you didn't keep God's law that you heard about it, you know, getting judgment, that you'd be punished for your sin. And it's almost the opposite today. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're not hurting anyone. So we've almost come full circle. And so instead of saying you're looking at pornography, we say we're doing what? It's adult entertainment. Doesn't that sound a lot more respectable? It's not pornography. It's adult entertainment. Come on, you're an adult. Let's entertain ourselves. It's not an adultery. It's an affair. doesn't sound nearly as bad that way. But we're not going to call it premarital sex. We're just going to say we're fooling around. Abortion isn't killing an unborn child. It's just a choice. Were you dishonest? Did you lie or were you just telling a fib? Were you just stretching the truth? Were you gossiping about somebody or were you sharing news? Hey, I got some news for you. Were you drunk or high, or were you just self-medicating? You see what we do? We kind of soften those things. We, even the words that we use, we make it sound better. And so I want to look at three cultural misbeliefs that kind of break this down for us. And the first is we kind of live with this attitude or idea that I'm not really a bad person. I'm not a bad person. I might make some mistakes, but I'm not a bad person. You're not a bad person. And many of us buy into this. And I started reading a book about a week and a half ago, just by chance, that really dovetails with what we're talking about today by a guy named Jerry Bridges. And he wrote this. It's a great, a very interesting book called Respectable Sins. And he wrote, he said, believers tend to evaluate our character and conduct relative to the moral culture in which we live. So he says, we basically, we evaluate ourselves by the world around us. So we, we gather in our church families and we say, well, look, we're not as bad as the culture out there. And so we say, we're not doing too bad. And we compare ourselves to people out there. I'm not really a bad person. Well, here's what John wrote in 1 John 1.8. He said, if we claim to be without sin, what do we do? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But Jerry Bridges said a lot of Christians, a lot of Christ followers, we're living our lives like, ah, oh, I'm, really, I'm not really that bad because I'm better than we're comparing ourselves to the wrong people. C.S. Lewis, famous Christian author and and teacher, he said this, when he was trying to share with different groups, he said, the barrier I have met is almost total absence from the minds of my audience of any sense of sin. It's sort of like he's going around talking to people in the church, trying to share with them, and he feels like people aren't even aware because, again, they're comparing themselves to other people. And so if we compare ourselves to other people, we're going to say we're not really that bad. You know, I've been at Crossroads over 18 years. I think one of the reasons Pastor Paul has kept me around so long is because he can compare himself to me and he can go, oh, I'm not really all that bad, right? <laughs> well, and, you know, it, it, it works. It works, you know, because I just compare myself to Lance and then I go, oh, I'm not all that bad. 
And then Lance just compares himself to politicians, so he feels good about himself, right? And so, you know, we compare ourselves to others, and other people aren't the standard to which God compares us. God compares us to his standard. And when we come before God and we try to feel like, man, I'm all this, I'm a good person. You know what the Bible says about you and me? In Isaiah, it says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Man, pretty, pretty blunt. Let, let's think about it this way. How many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hands. All right, if you see anybody not raising their hand, just go ahead and point at them. You can call liar, liar. We've all told a lie, right? <clears throat> How many of you have ever stolen anything? Raise your hand. I, I've stolen something in my life. Not proud of that. It's another story. Okay, how many of you have ever looked lustfully at someone? Oh, now I see some hesitation. Oh, my wife's here. My, I don't know. Do I be honest or do I risk the consequences, right? How many of you ever gotten mad in traffic and you, you got so mad you cut somebody off or you cursed them under your breath or you even shared the California bird with them? You know, you stayed bird, right? You're, okay, so work with me here. If, you're, if you've told a lie, you're what? You're a liar. If you've stolen something, you're a thief. If you've cut someone off or flipped them off or cursed them under your breath, you're a road rager. And if you've lusted for someone, Jesus said, like, in your heart, it's the same thing, like, in your heart, your intentions, you've committed adultery. So you're a lying, thieving, road raging adulterer. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> yeah. Let's all go home now. We feel good. Well... Well, let's put it another way, okay? Just as if you're still not convinced that we're, we're you still think, oh, I'm a pretty good person. Let's say that you only sin three times a day. I mean, maybe you don't sin that much. I do. <laughs> your thoughts, your attitude, your heart, things you do, or things, good things you should do, you don't do. But let's say you only sin three times a day from the age of 10 to 80. We won't blame you for anything before the age of 10, all right? So 70 years. You know how many sins that would be in your life? Over 75,000. But you're a good person. Can you imagine Jesus on the cross with the weight of all our sin on him, the shame, the guilt? 70, I got well over 75,000. I'm not even 80 yet. You know, we've all got our sins, right? And we try to convince ourselves we're good or we look at other people and we think they're good. Don't put your pastors or your leaders or on your pedestal. The Apostle Paul said he was the chief of all sinners. <clears throat> he said he was the greatest sinner of all. And so we just need to be honest, you know. I can be selfish, I can be a procrastinator, I can be lazy, I can be angry. I have fights with my wife, believe it or not. I've lost almost all of them, but I put up the good fight, let me tell you. <laughs> and she can tell you that I'm not righteous, I'm not a good person. She's, she, we've been married 22 years yesterday, so she can tell you some stories, all right? Thank you, she deserves an extra nice room in heaven one day, all right? I'll tell her you guys clap for her, all right? So 22 years. So we're not good people. The second thing is we have this idea that all sin is the same. And we've got to look at this one very carefully because it's partially true. And you've heard this. I've said it. And many of us believe this. But God never said all sin is the same. Now, you need to hear me very clearly. All unforgiven sin has the same ultimate consequence. Here's what Paul said. The wages of sin is death. What I deserve and what you earn for all the sins, all the wrong things that you do, all the things that God tells us not to do, all the things he tells us to do and we don't do, what we earn, 
our paycheck is death. It's not just a physical death, but it's a spiritual separation from God. Now, all of our sins, if, if, we're never, if we're not forgiven, they all have the same eternal consequence. But the Bible also makes clear that some sins carry more consequences than others. Some sins carry greater consequences <clears throat> on earth and in heaven. When Jesus was on trial and he went before Pilate, the governor there, um, remember he'd been arrested. They had a mock trial with the, the Pharisees and the chief, uh, high priest, and they brought him to the Roman leader there in their area. And he was talking to Pilate. He said this, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Sounds to me like some sins might be bigger than others, might have more consequence. He said, though, the one who handed me over to you. Now, I used to always assume that was Judas, because remember Judas betrayed him? But I think Jesus might have been talking about the high priest. I've been wrestling with that one a little bit this week, thinking about that. But the one who turned me over to you, he's guilty of a greater sin. Paul wrote this in Corinthians. You know, all the other sins, he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, stand strong. But when he talked about sexual sin, he says, run. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. But somehow, Paul's telling us, God's word, that sexual sin carries some greater consequences in our life. It affects us more. I think part of it is God designed sex to be a, a bond between a man and woman in marriage. And when you break that, when you violate that, it has some deep consequences on your soul. So he says, run from that. Think about it this way. If you lust, Jesus said, well, in your heart, that's like you're committing adultery. And that's a sin. It separates you from God if you're not forgiven. But if you commit adultery, the consequences are a little bigger than just lusting in your mind, right? That could really upset your spouse. That could really get you into trouble. And so there's a difference, the consequences. They're, they're equal in terms of that their sin, they separate us from God, but they have greater consequences. And so our sins, what we do, it does matter, and it affects us or influences us in three areas of life. First, I want you to write down our consequences on earth our consequences on earth. Now, we all know it's kind of like uh, Christian karma, right? You reap what you sow. If, if you're nice to other people, they're probably going to be nice to you usually, right? <laughs> Most of the time. You're nice or you're kind, you do good things. But also, if you do bad things, there's also some consequences. But they have different levels of consequences. Imagine if you're our uh, family and student ministry pastor, Mike Mason, and you commit the sin of gluttony at your birthday um, bash, you know, the all-you-can-eat. You commit the sin of gluttony. Well, Mike can still lead our teenagers, right? He can still be our family ministries pastor. But if Mike takes one of our teenagers out who's feeling kind of depressed and hurting and discouraged, and they go, they go down and they self-medicate with a bag of marijuana in Mike's car, probably can't still be our student ministries pastor, right? You see what I'm saying? They're both wrong, but there's different consequences. We know that. It's very obvious to us. And they have consequences here on earth. And you might say, well, Dwayne, I, I don't really get it. Why is this hurting me? What difference does it make if I'm not hurting anyone else? Well, Pastor Craig Rochelle said this, how is it costing you? If you're a follower of Jesus and you continue to live in sin, you will lose intimacy with God. Can you underline that phrase? You'll lose intimacy with God. Because sin and the holiness of God do not mix. Suddenly, you will not be as sensitive to his voice as you once were. And when your heart starts to harden, this is when it gets so dangerous. Suddenly, the distance between hearing from God and the distance between sinning and repenting grows. 
See, now I want to be clear. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're here today, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been forgiven of all your sins, past, present, future. You know he's going <laughs> to, you're forgiven. You don't have to live in fear that you're going to lose that. But if you sin, there are still consequences. It affects your intimacy with God. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> I love my father. Let's say that my dad and I, for whatever reason, we get into some stupid argument and we say some really nasty things to each other. We just go off. How could you say it? How could you do Well, we might not even be speaking to each other. Now, this has never happened. I'm just saying, suppose. And we might not even be speaking to each other. Is he still my father? Yeah, he's still my dad, right? But we're not, we don't have that close relationship that we did before. Our relationship is not as intimate because we, we sin. We, we sin against each other. Well, when we, we do some things that are wrong, it affects our intimacy with God. And I know one of the things that so many of us desperately want, we want to grow spiritually. We want to be connected with God. We want to feel his presence in our lives. And maybe back in, in the day when you first received Jesus, you remember how close you felt to God, but maybe some sins have come into your life or you haven't dealt with them, and you kind of feel like, well, God's far away, and I don't feel connected with him like I used to. Could be there's some sin, something's blocking that, hurting your intimacy. Second, Jesus talks about rewards in heaven. We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at that one. You can look up these verses, but he talks about what you do matters, that God will reward you based on what you did in this life, what you did for him and for others. And uh, the truth, the Bible also says some of us, says some people are going to be like, they're going to have their faith in Christ and they're going to go to heaven, but they didn't really um, do a lot of good. So he says they're going to be like ones escaping through the flames. I don't know if you remember that passage. So if you smell anybody in heaven that smells a little smoky, you know they just made it, right? <laughs> different levels of reward. But also the flip side of that is that there's different, it affects your punishment in hell. What you do matters eternally. And again, in Luke, there's a story in Luke, it's not on your outline, in Luke chapter 20. Jesus said the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're supposed to take care of the widows and orphans, the people who are in need, who are vulnerable in their community, in their church. But he says the Pharisees, they devour widows' homes. They, they found ways to cheat these widows out of their homes for their own benefit, for the benefit of their church or whatever. And Jesus says they're going to be judged more severely, most severely. To me, that sounds like there's some different types of, different degrees of punishment. And some of you aren't hearing anything I'm saying right now because you're stuck on this idea of hell. Because some of us think, well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm really glad Jesus died for me on the cross. But I really can't believe a loving God would ever let anyone go to hell. Would ever send anyone to hell? And does the Bible really talk about that? And uh, unfortunately for us, it does. And it's not that God would send someone to hell. He gives us the freedom to choose whether or not we're going to accept his forgiveness or whether we're going to reject him and live life on our own. And that's what hell is. It's separation from God. And Jesus himself talked about it. He said it's very real. He told a story to illustrate a point to them. He told a story about a rich man and a guy named Lazarus who was very poor. And it says the rich man, he lived in luxury every day. Man, he had, he had the nicest car. He had the biggest screen TV on the block. He had the best Wi-Fi. He had the nicest clothes. He lived in luxury. And they would bring this poor man, Lazarus, to his gates. Sit, they would just sit him outside his gates, hoping the rich man would do something to help him. But he never helped him at all. It says Lazarus longed for the crumbs from the rich man's table. And Lazarus had all these terrible sores. And it says the dog, Jesus said the dogs would come and lick his sores. Gross, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, story continues. It says the men die. And then Jesus says this, that, that, that the Lazarus, he's in heaven with Father Abraham. And the, he says, Father Abraham, have, uh, and the, the rich man, he's, he's separated. He's in Hades or hell. So he says, the rich man says across the way to Father Abraham, he says, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now, I've had people ask me, is hell really a fire? I don't know. That's a really good question. I've wondered that too, because are the streets of heaven really paved with real gold? I don't know. Is, is that something that we can understand and wrap our minds around, or is it something even more incredible? You know, like the streets of heaven are just so amazing, so valuable. I don't know. You don't get stuck on whether it's a fire or not. Get stuck on this. He's in agony because he's separated from God. It's terrible. It's not the place you want to be. And Abraham replied to him, he said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. What you do matters. What you do with Jesus matters. What you do with your life and your actions and your choices, it matters. And, man, there's no purgatory. There's no going in between, back and forth. You have this life you live in, and what you do matters. The Bible says we'll stand and give an account before God for our lives. We know we already said we're all bad people, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can be forgiven. And so how we live, all sin is not the same. All sin ultimately separates us from God, but there's different consequences and different levels of consequences. And the third lie that we believe kind of connected with this and this one's really bad, especially for some people in the church believe this. They say, it doesn't matter what I do because God will forgive me anyway. Like, I put my faith in Jesus. I believe in him. He forgave me for what I did. He's forgiven me today, and he'll forgive me for everything I'm going to do. Because when you receive Christ in your life, the Bible says you're adopted into God's family. You can't lose that relationship. So it doesn't matter what I do now. I'm forgiven. I've got like a free ticket. I can do whatever I want. And here's what Paul wrote in Romans. He said, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in sin? He says, if you, if you know Christ and you received his love and forgiveness, why would you go back and insist on living the way you did when you didn't have Christ in your life? When it hurts your relationship with God, it hurts your relationships with others, and it hurts you. And not only that, it hurts your witness <laughs> When you talk to people outside the church, maybe you've tried to invite someone to church or ask them what they believe, and I know you probably run into this. I've run into it many times. They often say, why should I go to church? Those people are no different than anybody else. And so that's what happens, man. Your, your life, your choices affect not only you, but they start to affect other people. Now, we're not going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. But this is when you kind of excuse a sin in your life because you say, oh, I'm already forgiven. I can do whatever I want. So let me just stress something to you. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you obey. Because Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. You'll, you'll try to follow my word. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And Jesus said the highest value is that we love God and we love others. And so spiritual maturity is not how much you know, but do you obey? Are you really spiritually mature? Are you really connected and growing in Christ? See, see, I think for many Christians today, we're, we're educated. 
We're educated way beyond our level of obedience. We don't need to know more. We need to apply what we already know. And we need to surrender those actions, those choices to God. The most miserable person in the world is not someone who doesn't know Jesus. I think it's someone who knows Jesus, but they're still living their life of sin. And I can speak to that from my own experience, because that was me when I was 20 years old. I knew Jesus, loved him, believed in him, but I rationalized, I did what I wanted, on, you know, on my time. <laughs> you know what I mean? One foot in the world, one foot in the... Man, I was miserable, because when you know Jesus, you have Christ in your life, and yet you're, you have his spirit in you, and you're choosing to disobey him. I think you're the most miserable person, and God used that misery to get my attention, to help me to change, to help me to come to that place where I wanted to be different. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize how far I still have to go. And so when I mess up, when I sin, I, when I recognize it, I come to Jesus and I ask for his forgiveness regularly. Not so he'll love me. He already loves me and he already loves you. But I don't want to keep doing those things that hurt me, that dishonor Christ, my Savior, that would hurt my wife or hurt other people. I don't want to do those things that would cause people to doubt God. And so I come back to him. See, what you do really does matter. But here's what God wants you to do about it. Here's the good news. See, I've been giving you all the bad news. <laughs> First thing he wants you to do is he wants you to receive Jesus, the friend of sinners. See, the truth is we're not good people. Okay, we just need to accept that. You might be a nice bad person, but you're not a good person. <laughs> I'm not a good person. But... uh Jesus loves us. God loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of your junk and your mess. It's like a parent, you know, sometimes our kids are just being brats, but you still love your kids, right? You still love them in spite of, and Jesus loved you, and he proved it on the cross, and he proved it by the way he lived his life here on this earth. See, one time he was preaching, and he said, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is what they say about me. They criticize me. Here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Can you, can you write that down? A friend of tax, uh, underline that, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, if you work for the IRS, Jesus really likes you. Say <laughs> so he's a friend of sinners. He's our friend. He, he loves us in spite of our flaws, in spite of our badness, in spite of our sin. And he hung out, he chose to hang out with the people who were far from God because of his compassion for us and he loves you and he wants you to receive his love and forgiveness that's the good news jesus died for you because what you do really does matter what you do separates you from god and that's why he went to the cross because he wanted to bring you back into a friendship into a relationship with god you know recently <clears throat> recently i was talking with someone man they started just criticizing me in the church because we're not hard enough on sinners and I say, you know what? Most people already know they got some sin in their life. They don't need us to beat them up. They need us to love them and show them that God still accepts them and cares for them. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he did. And how can I beat up other sinners when I'm a sinner myself, right? So we receive Jesus, a friend of sinners. Second thing God wants you to, to do when you receive Jesus, you begin to follow him. Don't downplay my sin. Confess it. Keep coming back to God and confessing my sin. You might write this word uh, uh, beside downplay. Don't rationalize. See, we rationalize our sins. You know, but we love each other. We're not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody else. What, what does it matter? Well, don't rationalize it, but confess it. Turn from it. Repent. We looked at this verse earlier that said, if we claim to be without sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the very next verse, John says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. From anything wrong that we've ever done, he will purify us, he'll forgive us. That's how good Jesus is, how perfect his sacrifice is for you and me. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And when we come to him, he gives us life, he forgives us, he restores us to that relationship with God. See, if Satan can't get you to believe that you're a good person, that you don't really need Jesus, then he'll get you to believe you're such a bad person that Jesus could never forgive you. And that's not true. Jesus can forgive the worst sinner. And, you, and God's just, he wants you to recognize how much he loves you, how much he cares for you in spite of your junk. And he wants you to come to him and be forgiven and be restored to a relationship with him. If you just keep it, to your, keep it inside, you don't confess it. Sometimes we need to talk to a close friend, someone we trust, but we keep it inside, it just kind of festers. And Craig Rochelle said this, when you keep quiet, Sin grows. Sin grows best in the dark. It's when you confess it, when you bring it to the light, that the light of Jesus sets you free. And you got to come to him. You got to admit it. I need you, Jesus. I, need, I, didn't, I don't need a Savior just 40-some years ago when I received Jesus as my Savior. I need a Savior every day because I still sin. I need him. And this week, before, before the service, I, I, I try to pray every week about the weekend services and all the people that are going to be here, and I pray for them, whatever it is we'll be talking about. This week I prayed that the Holy Spirit would convict you of your sin. See, it's not my, I can't convict you of your sin. I can't convince you what you're doing is wrong. It's not the church's job. Jesus says it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of our sins. And if you feel some godly guilt in your life right now, or Jesus tugging at your heart about something, I mean, you feel something inside, that's God's Spirit talking to you. And then the third thing he wants us to do after we confess it, and we, he, he wants us not just to be sorry about it and try to, oh, I feel really bad, I wish, to, please forgive me. He wants us to put sin to death through God's power. Now, this is a hard one, because I think as long as we live here on this earth, we're still going to be fighting this battle. But he wants us to be in the battle. He doesn't want us to be rationalizing our sins or excusing our sins or, or even embracing our sins. He wants us to fight them, to resist them. He promises us his help. In 1 Corinthians, he says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes people have some sinful habits or patterns they just can't seem to break. And Jesus says, you know, I'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I'll provide a way out. It might be hard. It might be tough, but I'll help you. One of the things I love about Christian 12-step ministries, recovery ministries like Celebrate Recovery, man, they say you rely on God's help, but you also rely on each other. You get around some other people that will help you resist and stand strong and hold you accountable. But you can't defeat sin. You can't put it to death on your own. No matter how hard you and I try, our, our, our desires, our evil desires that come up inside of us just keep tempting us. But here's the beautiful thing. I, lo I love this verse in Romans 8. Paul said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Let that sink in for a minute. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, God's Holy Spirit, He can't live in you before you put your faith and trust in Christ, but He's talking to the believers, the followers. Hey, you have Jesus living in you. In you. Therefore, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. I mean, He's talking about that battle. 
inside of you. But he said, if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Can you underline two things there in that last sentence? The, or circle these. The power of the Spirit and you. God will never force you to obey Him. You have to decide. I want to turn away from these sins. I want to fight them. I want to beat them. I want to put them to death. So you have to make that choice. You, you come to God. It's like surrendering. We say surrendering to God is your Lord or your, sa- uh, your master, your leader. But you need help. And that's why I had you circle the power of the Spirit. When you surrender, God will help you. When you surrender, then God works with you. You cooperate with him. You don't have the power. You just have to make the decision. You have to allow him to work in your life. And so together, you depend on God, his leadership, his power, and you open up and say, God, help me with this sin in, in my life. So I'm going to ask you right now if you bow your heads for just a moment. Just take a moment, no moving around. If, you know, I want you to just reflect. Maybe, maybe you're here and you just sense God's really speaking to you about something in your life, something that's been going on in your life for a while. It's been holding you back. It's been hurting your intimacy with God. And maybe you just sense God's talking to you right now. I just want to encourage you, if there's something in your life, just confess it to God, admit it, and ask him to help you to fight it and put it to death. And maybe someone's here today, you've never opened up to your, your life to Jesus for the first time, but today you just feel like, man, God's tugging on your heart. He's speaking to you. He's convicting you. Something's going on inside. Just the best you know how. Just say, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me. Forgive me and help me. Help me to turn from my sin and help me to follow you. Heavenly Father, I pray by your spirit right now, your Holy Spirit, by your power, you'll speak to each one of us because we all still struggle with sin. God, search our hearts. Show us us any areas in our life that we're rationalizing or excusing. God, show us any wicked way in us and give us the heart, the will, the desire to obey you and to turn from it. And God, I pray that your power would work in us and Help change us. It might be a lifelong battle. It might not be overnight, but God, help us begin to win some battles. And Lord, for anyone here today that <clears throat> just sensing that they're separated from you, they never had that relationship, they never received your forgiveness, God, I pray that you help them to understand how desperately you love them, that Jesus wants to be their friend, that he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that he loves us. He came and died for us so we could have a relationship with him. God, I pray that you just help them to have the answer to their questions, help them have the courage to open up and let their life be changed forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.